everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Third Read Podcast. I'm Caitlin Shalhorn, editor of the Missouri Times. And I am Connor Kerrigan, business manager of the Missouri Times. It is the final day of session, and so once again, we have a special guest host with us today, Senator Brian Williams. It's good to be with you all. It's uh, a very exciting but uh, draining week as we uh, finish up the legislative session. Before we get to the podcast, we want to remind everybody to drive safely out there, especially around school buses this time of year. You know, kids are finally back in school across Missouri, and this great weather has everybody's minds on baseball and sweet tea. And kids don't always make sure the coast is clear before crossing the road. You know, nationally, around a dozen kids die every year getting on and off school buses. By being mindful, taking it easy, and stopping when they're stopped, we can all do our part to help make sure Missouri's kids get to school and back home again safely. Well, tell us a little bit for our listeners about you and your district and where you represent. Well, uh, I represent the uh, 14th Senatorial District. Um, as I like to say, it is the model for the state of Missouri. Uh, we have some of the uh, wealthiest, but also some of the more poverty-stricken communities, um, including communities like Ferguson, uh, where I grew up and represent. Uh, located in St. Louis County, uh, has some really cool gems that most people in the state are familiar with, like the uh, St. Louis Airport and um, UMSO and Washington University. Awesome. Um, well, uh, just real quick, normally uh, on the show we, we have a cocktail, um, but I don't think we're doing that this week. I, I got think, water. Yeah, water. I got coffee. I've got water and coffee. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, it's, it's, you know, we're recording in Senator Williams' office pretty early in the morning, still waiting for the Senate to go into session. So no cocktails this week, but I think the coffee and the water is, is essential for everyone. I think it's important for, I hope everyone in the building is drinking both of those things. Um, so I, I just wanted to quickly dive into it. So Senator Williams, you passed a major piece of legislation this week. Um, tell me a little bit about your CJR bill. Well, let's, let's kind of go back, and, and I'll be really quick in light of time. Um, the way we got to this point is um, last uh, year we had a special session, and uh, Governor Parson uh, asked for a um, special session to address violent crime. Um, I asked him to extend the call to um, take up police reform. Um, as we've seen, uh, what's happened uh, clearly in Ferguson, um, Minneapolis with George Floyd, uh, and even Louisville with Breonna Taylor. And uh, the governor decided uh, not to uh, expand the call, and um, we thought, well, we all collectively thought it would be best to uh, take up police reform during the uh, regular session. So that's how we got to that point. Um, clearly, um, my uh, Republican colleagues wanted to uh, take up police residency in Kansas City. And uh, I said if we were going to take up any uh, law enforcement priorities, we needed to make sure that we address black lives in the state and take up police reform. And police residency in Kansas City meaning that they were working to eliminate the residency requirement that says that Kansas City police officers have to live within the city limits. That's correct. So um, you took your criminal justice reform, which which you'll talk a little bit more about, and you combine it with Senator Tony Luchtemeyer's bill, which was the Kansas City residency bill, um, and that passed earlier this week. So what were some of the provisions that were in your language that made it into the bill? Well, we started off with, of course, uh, banning chokeholds. As we saw what happened in Minneapolis, uh, we do not want that to happen again in Missouri, as with George Floyd. 
Uh, we also uh, ensured that uh, police officers are not engaging in any level of misconduct with someone that they are detaining or even correctional facility officers with uh, folks that are held within uh, prisons or jails. Uh, we've seen in St. Louis with the Justice Center uh, where there's been riots and um, outlashes of uh, inmates because of poor treatment. Uh, this bill would address a lot of those concerns. Um, even folks that have been arrested and maybe been uh, treated unfairly, you know, uh, as um, uh, a black male who grew up in uh, St. Louis County, I remember countless times being pulled over by law enforcement and clearly because I was driving while black, um, handcuffed on the sidewalk and my constitutional rights were violated. Uh, this bill would address that to where if an officer was to be inappropriate in any way, they would be charged with a class C felony. Um, also, my district, as I stated before, has a lot of bright spots, but it also has uh, several municipalities, 35 municipalities. They all have police departments. So now with this bill, uh, police chiefs have the immunity to um, disclose um, investigations and misconduct by police officers to neighboring departments to keep those bad apples from bouncing around to another police department. And your bill also has a lot of provisions related to juvenile court reform as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, what we're going to do is going to be a game changer. We'll make sure that uh, young kids are not tried as adults. It will also um, address um, provisions in terms of uh, um, allowing prosecutors to uh, reopen cases for uh, folks who may have been unlawfully convicted and uh, sent to prison for a crime. For example, Lamar Johnson. Uh, there would be a, a great opportunity for a local prosecutor to reopen this case and determine whether or not he was guilty. Uh, so those are just some of the provisions, whether it's pertaining to juveniles or um, criminal justice reforms that can ultimately ensure that people who may have been unlawfully locked up can um, have a chance uh, to, to be free. So I know this was a massive piece of legislation. What else does it tackle? Well, it tackles something that's very uh, important as well, and it was another priority for us, uh, and that's expungement. So now, uh, if someone was to be convicted of a nonviolent crime, a misdemeanor or felony, they can have their record expunged in Missouri under uh, this uh, bill. So now, if you were convicted of a misdemeanor, of a nonviolent offense, you would have your record expunged in one year after being removed from super, um, supervised provision, I mean supervised um, um, probation. And uh, now with the felony, it's uh, three years instead of seven years. So that's a, that's a tremendous game changer. And like I said, it was just having bipartisan support and, and folks in the House that were really pushing these initiatives. You know, even with uh, police reform and, and various criminal justice pieces, we had um, members like Representative Rasheen Aldrich, who was very supportive, and uh, Representative Shamed Dogan, who's a Republican in the House, who was also very supportive on these uh, criminal justice reforms that we know is going to have an immediate impact day one. I, I think that's, I think it's really important that you point that out. I, one of the things that, you know, Kayla and I have talked about a few times on the podcast, um, I, I've been genuinely surprised at how many bipartisan efforts have been making it through the process this year. I think we, I think we're seeing more bipartisan work um, this session than I think I've seen in a long time. And, and your bill, along with um, Senator Luchtemeyer, I think really highlights that. Americas for Prosperity thanks our legislature for standing up for Missouri's taxpayers and our truly needy.
our lawmakers were right to stand firm against wasteful spending and fiscal irresponsibility by opposing the expansion of a broken Medicaid system. We commend the Missouri House and Senate for rejecting Medicaid expansion funding, which would have brought disastrous consequences like depleting our state budget and forcing cuts to essential services we rely on. Paid for by Americans for Prosperity. I, I want to ask you a little bit about the politics of the bill as well. Um, so that's kind of, you know, what's in the bill, what the legislation is. You've been working on this for, I would say, about a year now. Um, and one of the things that I was really surprised with is, you know, police reform is a touchy subject when you're working um, in the legislature. You had the support of the Fraternal Order of the Police, of um, a lot of different interest groups on on all sides of the spectrum. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got those folks on board, how you brought everyone to the table? Well, first, there was a lot of time and, and commitment. My staff and I, we've traveled all over the entire state of Missouri. Uh, we've been here, clearly here in Jefferson City, Columbia, uh, Springfield, uh, Kansas City, St. Louis, talking with members of law enforcement, talking with activists, talking with uh, advocates uh, that want to uh, break through the gridlock between um, the, the um, distrust of police officers and the communities that they serve. So, um, you know, just having countless conversations, uh, some that were uh, uncomfortable, uh, some that was very welcoming. And I'm grateful that we created a stakeholder group um, that also consisted of organizations like the ACLU, uh, the NAACP, uh, as well as um, organizations uh, that, that fight for social justice. And uh, we were able to come to a, a middle ground. And it's the final week of session. So this is the time of year where legislation can get held up or used as bargaining chips. And I know that you and Senator Luke DeMere have been running back and forth all over this building. Um, what was it like trying to negotiate and make sure that you got this through and it wasn't held for something else? Well, it was very difficult. And, and one thing I want to highlight um, first, um, you know, I want to say thank you to my colleague, Senator Luke DeMere, for his hard work and um, coming together and, and figuring this um, process out. Uh, Senator Luke DeMeyer and I were both at a, a serious disadvantage because uh, neither one of us served in the state house. So we had to work with uh, house members and, and get to know them in the process and build that trust to work through it. And uh, we had an amazing uh, build um, handler uh, as in Representative Lane Roberts. And then uh, we were grateful for Judge uh, Dave Evans, uh, who uh, was the chair of the Judiciary Committee, who was very helpful getting it through, through the house. That's awesome. Um, well, again, congratulations. I know that, you know, there was a major piece of bipartisan legislation um, that made it through. It looks like the governor's going to put his signature on it. Um, so, again, that's huge. Um, moving on to to an, another topic, um, something that we talked uh, last week to Representative Bill Hardwick about, and I wanted to get your take on. Um, yesterday, you know, so we know that the legislature failed to fund Medicaid expansion. Um, it got punted over to the governor and then the governor released a letter yesterday basically saying, you know, I, I can't touch this. Um, it's going to have to play out. Um, so now we do expect it to go to the courts. Um, so I just wanted to get your reaction on the governor's letter on the whole process on, on Medicaid expansion funding. Well, I mean, it's simple. You know, as elected officials, we have one job, and that's to uphold our oath to the Constitution um, and, and uphold the will of the people. And we did not do that by funding Medicaid expansion. You know, I think, um, you know, there's so many families right now that are one injury or uh, illness from bankruptcy. And to think that it's folks who work every single day and work very, very hard that can't afford for-profit health care. 
So it's, it's a very concerning uh, situation. Um, I was very disappointed that we did not fund Medicaid expansion. I truly believe that we have an obligation to do that. And uh, to think now it's going to go before the courts is uh, disheartening, but I'm, I'm, confident, I'm confident and optimistic that we'll be able to, to get it done. So one thing I wanted to talk about, um, you know, as a reporter, one of my core jobs is to main, remain pretty impartial, but this is an issue that's pretty near to me, and that's domestic violence. And we talked about that a lot this week um, here in the Senate. There is a Second Amendment Preservation Act bill that came up. Senator Lauren Arthur attempted to attach an amendment that would prohibit people who are convicted of domestic violence from owning a firearm. And I know that was a a big debate for you guys, and it ultimately failed. Can you walk us through what her amendment would have done and and what the debate was like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, First and foremost, you know, we should never be supporting any laws that would promote more guns or uh, domestic violence or sexual assault. Um, My thoughts, uh, not only because I've witnessed it uh, personally with loved ones, but my thoughts would always go first with uh, survivors of assault and domestic violence. Uh, What Senator Arthur's amendment would have done, it would have first um, anyone who would have been uh, convicted of a uh, violent crime or domestic violence or have a, um, a restraining order against them would not be able to uh, have access to a firearm. Uh, But then we amended that amendment and made it just solely for um, individuals who have been convicted of uh, a violent crime or or domestic violence. And to think that uh, members of the body uh, does not understand that at the end of the day, our job is to advocate for the voiceless, to be a voice for victims, people that never have an opportunity to walk the hallways or speak on behalf of legislation as we do. And to think that we made that mutually exclusive to uh, the Second Amendment is very disheartening. Um, I was extremely frustrated about it. Um, To think that, um, you know, the Constitution is only important when it's convenient. And I've seen firsthand what domestic violence can do. We've seen countless cases in St. Louis where not only uh, women have lost their lives, but children have died because um, the the system and... and, uh, We've disregarded violent criminals who have had access to guns and not have addressed uh, those um, those um, warnings and things when they were reported. So it's, it's very disheartening. And, and again, um, I'm very proud of Senator Arthur, and, and my thoughts remain with uh, any victim or anyone that may have escaped, escaped a situation like that. And I think, too, it's important to note that this wasn't just an amendment that came out of thin air from from Senator Arthur. There's actually a bill in the House from Republican Representative Ron Hicks that would close this loophole that was created um, basically a few years ago when Missouri expanded its concealed carry here in the state. Um, So it's it's a bipartisan effort. It's not just a Republican-Democrat effort as well. Yeah, and keep in mind, um, this is a statistic I think everyone needs to think about. Uh, since we uh, have removed the conceal and carry law, we've seen uh, not only domestic violence, but uh, gun violence increase roughly 40% in communities like St. Louis and Kansas City. So it's a statistic that show that the more guns we have on the street, the easy they are to uh, get, the more violence we see. Do you think um, it would be fair to say that when you guys come back for the next session, next year, that this will be an issue that you hope to tackle? Yeah, it'll be a priority for me. Um, you know, 
between just addressing domestic violence and, and sexual assault, clearly I'm a huge champion for human trafficking. Uh, I lead Human Trafficking Day at the Capitol, so we will be making sure that this is an issue that we focus on. So yeah, so I mean, we've covered a lot of um, very serious topics here, and you've been working really hard on a lot of um, important legislation this year. But to to kind of um, move, you know, to a more fluffy uh, question, what was your favorite part of session this year? Well, I, I will say this, you know, most people would say the last day of session because it's just such, you know, a long and, and just gruesome session working through the process. But I would say the first day of session. And the reason why is, uh, you know, once we had new senators come in, I, you know, I do the term limits. I'm now a senior uh, state senator <laughs> and, and also being very fortunate to um, have the confidence of my peers to serve in leadership just being able to watch the new senators adapt and grow this year and, and really um, grow into the, the process of being in the Senate has been really rewarding. That's awesome. And as you go back to your district during the interim, what's going to be some of your priorities and your focus? Well, we're going to be making sure that we continue to uh, focus on this criminal justice reform package, getting records expunged, um, ensuring that law enforcement uh, is, is um, working on practices that would ultimately um, create opportunities for trust and accountability. Uh, we'll go and, and touch bases with constituents and, and continue to work with stakeholders to address regional issues on what uh, St. Louis and the state looks like post-COVID-19. We'll also be figuring out what this Medicaid expansion uh, situation is going to be. Uh, clearly, as we know, um, access to health care is more important now than it's ever been. So we really want to focus on that. Um, and other than that, just spend time with family and, and friends and know it'll be good for my staff to be able to be back you know uh, with their families because we work such long hours as you know we didn't get done to four o'clock this morning so just to kind of get on a somewhat normal schedule will be be cool do you have any fun plans um not you know i said i was going to think about that after <laughs> 6 p.m today but uh, i do have one thing that's planned so far um i'm going to yellowstone park so i'm going to the no Tetons. way yeah, and, and that should be a cool experience. I, I've never been there, so uh, we'll go into Jackson, Wyoming, and and uh, and and check that out. And and I enjoy playing golf, so I'm hoping to uh, uh, get to a quarter of what Tiger Woods is this summer. <laughs> and, and I don't know if that's even possible, but I'll, I'll be playing golf and and then clearly just uh, bouncing around the district and figuring out um, how we can continue to to uh, support folks home. Have you played golf with Senator Schatz yet? You know, uh, I've been invited, and uh, Senator Schatz, he's actually pretty good. Um, <laughs> between him and Senator Rowden, those are probably uh, two of the, the, the better golfers in our, in our caucus. But he's invited me, and I, I told him that I'm going to try to catch him this summer, so not yet. No. Um, you mentioned that, you know, you were here until 4 a.m. I think, I think I got out around 3 a.m., which was nice. I got, you know, good three, three and a half hours of sleep. Um, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because there was, um, for the, the nerdier listens of the listeners of the podcast, there was some procedural stuff going on. So um, from my understanding, uh, Senator Wheland um, had hoped to see some of his anti-abortion language put into the FRA. Um, and when he had heard that the FRA was going to be brought to the floor without that, he decided to, um, what I would say, stick a procedural uh, you know, stick in the, the spokes of session. Um, so a few things he had done is, you know, he had asked for um, standing division on a lot of different um, 
motions that were going on in the chamber. Can you tell me a little bit, you know, you being someone who's actually a, a member of the Senate and part of the upper chamber, what was happening last night with those procedural motions? Well, so we have um, something called the FRA uh, tax, which is a provider tax that allow us to the state to be able to draw down matching funds for um, hospitals and healthcare systems. We have to pass that provider tax every year. And um, we have until September to, to get it done, but it's always ideal to finish it uh, before the end of the regular le um, legislative session. Um, it looks like there were some senators that had some uh, reservations about us passing an FRA bill without having provisions that address um, whether or not healthcare uh, facilities or systems can provide uh, women with um, um, health care services that could potentially um, include abortion within that scope. Um, but, you know, keep in mind, these are, these are uh, um, health care providers that, that have a, a, a duty to provide quality health care to all people. And, and sometimes that requires procedures that um, cannot be defined by uh, in my opinion, uh, legislators, and especially those that don't know what it's like to walk a day in a woman's shoes. So that's uh, really what it was what it was about in terms of just uh, the, the issue with the bill. Uh, in regards to the process, you know, clearly we have to uh, take that to conference and figure out what that looks like. And then, you know, it's another piece that folks don't think about is that we have something called a Senate staff, which they have to uh, actually document everything that we do. And that takes several hours. So we thought it would be probably the the most the thoughtful and executive thing to do is, is to uh, reconvene at ten. Well, this morning sometime and um, ten o'clock Senate time. Yeah, ten o'clock yeah. Senate time, and and allow them to be able to, to do the journal and and actually get us prepared for the last day. Gotcha. Senator Williams, thank you so much for joining us as a guest host this week. We really enjoyed having you. And for our listeners, how can they get in touch with you? Well, it's a couple of ways. Uh, clearly, I'm always on Twitter trying to uh, keep up with you guys and, and be, uh, you know, the cool Twitter person with, with all the likes. So you yeah. can find me at Brian Williams M.O. And that M.O. is from Missouri. Uh, clearly, for uh, the non-Twitter people, I'm on Facebook. And for the people that like to look at pictures of food and pets, you can always <laughs> find me on Instagram. And that's uh, B underscore uh, Williams M.O. as well from Missouri. Twitter for sure being your most active social media. Yeah, I, Twitter, I noted, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, because I noted last night that you had shouted out a tweet from uh, Rachel Lipman less than a minute after it was posted while you were on the floor. I thought that was really funny. Um, and then, uh, you know, Senator, you mentioned your staff earlier, so I just wanted to give you an opportunity to shout them out before we close out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, nothing we do is, is possible without an amazing staff, and I'm lucky to have one. Uh, my chief of staff, Rob Arbuthnot, who's done a tremendous job uh, navigating the hallways and uh, orchestrating uh, what I would argue one of the most progressive and uh, um, productive criminal justice reform packages since the death of Michael Brown. Uh, and we also have here hanging out with us for their last day of the session, uh, we have uh, our interns who have done a tremendous job. I mean, came in diligently every single day, uh, Lindsay and Haley, who have uh, really just held it down and, and been a tremendous asset. And then the gatekeeper to the office, uh, for those who don't know her, have never been in this office, clearly, and that's uh, Christine Bronner, who uh, keeps all my life together and uh, remind me to stay in my lane when I tell people I can be places that has not been approved by her. Yeah, and I always I always make the, the joke about, about Rob, your chief of staff, 
I was like, I know Senator Williams pretty well. I've never seen him without Rob. In our in my entire time being here, I've never seen you without Rob within at least five feet of you. I think he's I think he's a, a very good chief of staff. Yeah, have, he's definitely great. I do have one final thing for you. When are you bringing Andy Cohen to the Capitol? You know, um, so what the thing is, that's actually pretty funny. So I've met Andy Cohen. Um, I'm embarrassed to say when I met Andy Cohen, I did not know who he was. Um, And I knew who his parents were because they're actually a constituents of mine. But I do know who he is now. He's super awesome. Uh, His parents are are even more awesome. And not just because uh, they're constituents and support me, but they're just great people clearly to raise a a tremendous guy like uh, Andy. But if he's ever in the St. Louis area, I don't know if I'll get him to Jefferson City because... I don't think he's too keen on, on the policies that come out of here. <laughs> but uh, if you're ever in St. Louis and he's around, I, I'm more than willing to ask. You know, I have interviewed presidents and been perfectly fine. But if you get me in a room with Andy Cohen, <laughs> I might fangirl a little bit. Also, well, we, love we my will, housewives. We will we will work on that if it's possible. For, the, for those listening, when Senator Williams said he didn't know who Andy Cohen was, the disappointed look on Caitlin's <laughs> face was it spoke volumes. Well, I know who he is now. And and and. and Please keep in mind, when I said that I didn't know who he was, every person I know couldn't believe that I didn't know who he was. (laughs) So I was the only person that didn't know. Housewives and Watch What Happens Live. That's what gets me through session. Absolutely. Hey, guys, thank you so much. It was a tremendous opportunity. Thanks for coming on. This is a ton of fun. Thank you guys for joining us this week. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And follow me on Twitter at K underscore Shalhorn. That's S-C-H-A-L-L. H-O-R-N. And follow me at Connor Kerrigan. That's Connor with two N's and an E. K-E-R-R-I-G-A-N. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.